listening to the Pharmacy Podcast Network. LTC Pharmacy Podcast. Guess what? It's time for the LTC Pharmacy Podcast, and we have an incredible, incredible episode lined up today. We've got some special guest hosts, plural, because we are having a debate. Yes, a debate. Pediatrics versus geriatrics, and Tamara and I are so freaking excited about this uh, this debate that's going on. Tamara, anything for our lovely listeners? No, this is going to be awesome. I cannot wait. We have two amazing pharmacists, both in their respective categories, one's in peds, one's in geriatrics, and they're bringing the heat today, you guys. This is going to be incredible. Bringing the, bringing the heat. So I have the privilege of introducing our first, what should I say, competitor? I don't know what. Um, I'm still, we're, yeah, we're going to talk about our experience with debates. What was that, Jenna? The lesser side of the debate. Boxer. Oh. Boxer. Boxer. Our first boxer. <laughs> Coming into the ring. Pretender. Yeah. Oh, wow. The trash talking's already begun. <laughs> <laughs> but with us today, we have the amazing and lovely Jenna Quinn, who is, I'm going to give you guys some information that you might not know about her. If you follow her on LinkedIn, you probably know that she is the owner of Perfecting Peds and lots of other incredible things. She's like the queen of LinkedIn. She's awesome. But what you probably don't know is that this lady goes by in the ring one of two things, depending on the mood she's in. All right. It, it's either Dr. Quinn medicine woman, or I can't even look at you and say this with a straight face or <laughs> Jenna loves Senna. And we'll let her explain more about that if she wants here in a little bit, but either one of those, that's what she goes by. And guys, she has a mean freaking wicked right hook. That'll knock you out faster than a baby's newborn diaper. So it is going to be a, a, a debate. And I, I'm going to just say, I'm Team Jenna all the way. I'm just going to go ahead and claim it. And I'm going to toss it over to Tamara because, yeah, she, she yeah. gets the other guy. I'm taking it. You guys are representing geriatrics all the way from Utah. We have the king of consulting. He's got collaborative practice agreements. He's a consultant pharmacist. He owns collaborative pharmacy consulting and folks. He is also a local former hip-hop celebrity, Dr. Jaron Stout, folks. That's me. That's me. I grew up in the ghetto of Salt Lake. (laughs) Okay. I mean, this is is already shaping up to be amazing. And so we, Tamara and I are so excited about this because we have hosted so many debates. It's like the sands of the hourglass for our experience in debate, just like days of our lives. Uh, we are so, and we're completely lying. We have never done a debate in our lives. Well, a soap opera reference is just going to go over the heads of the pediatric population. So you got <laughs> to keep it simple. Um, do, you, do you have any Bluey references in there? Oh, yeah, I got I'll, I'll bring that up. My kids love Bluey. So, yeah, I'm right there with you. And I actually like Bluey myself, I, too. I love Bluey. Like, I, my kids are, like, 
I've already put the kids to bed and I realize I'm like, I have just watched two full episodes of Bluey by myself. Well, they go by um, fast so, in your defense. So again, that, that will be honestly the first point who the who the hell wants to watch days of our lives and they can watch Bluey. Valid point. You may have a point there. Bluey has better acting. Does. Yeah. And as far as I'm, uh, as I know, none of the Bluey characters have died and come back from the dead like days of our lives. So, I mean, it's, it, you know, we, it's great. Um, all right, so we're going to kick this thing off, and Jenna's already thrown the first punch on that one with the Bluey versus Days of Our Lives, but we're going to kick this thing off on what makes pediatrics better than geriatrics, and I feel like I'm betraying this because I'm in geriatrics, but I'm just, <laughs> I'm siding with it on this one. What makes pediatrics better? Go, Jenna. Okay. Um, one, that anytime a child's sick, they are tougher than any other adult sick that is sick. So they, for example, um, our whole house had some sort of gastro over the weekend and the whole family took turns throwing up. My youngest literally threw up and was ready to, to run around and continue to play. And me and my husband were crying on the couch all weekend. So that's going to be my, my first point. And also, I do want to add that I don't abuse uh, sub the laxatives because he said Jenna loves Senna. I do want to add it's because um, my residents at the hospital would never put on appropriate bowel regimens for children, and that's how I got the nickname. Just just disclaimer. In there. Thank goodness you said that. I didn't really even think about it like that. Yeah, but... people are going to be like, "Wow, she really loves uh, laxatives." No, that that's that's not that's not the case. Stimulant laxatives are not my jam. Um, however, when children on are on uh, continuous opioids, they they are appropriate. Um, so so I'll leave that and then also carry my first point, which is children are a lot tougher than adults in geriatrics. I like it. Karen, what do you have to say to that, brother? Well, you know, I mean, they're also like a bunch of crybabies, you know, like they're just whiny and complaining all the time. And they're always trespassing on people's lawns. I mean, it's it really gets annoying. And, you know, sometimes a geriatric person will figuratively put a foot in their mouth, but at least they're not literally like sticking their entire foot in their mouth. You know, like, I mean, it it's kind of annoying. So, um, but why do I love geriatrics? Is that where we're going as well? Or. Oh, yeah. What makes geriatrics okay. better? So <clears throat> geriatrics is like a pharmacist playground. What things are pharmacists proven the most valuable? Valuable. They love managing chronic disease states and complex comorbidities. Um, and usually, in, especially in long-term care and in nursing homes specifically, um, you have people with three, four, five different chronic conditions and learning how to manage and balance all of those and reviewing evidence and guidelines on how to manage these with best results and manage them concomitantly, not like as an independent thing that you learn uh, in pharmacy school, like one individual disease state at a time. And a lot of these, in all these cases, you're dealing with people with several disease states that you have to learn to balance and manage a complex medication regimen. All those factors is why it shocks me that we don't have more clinical pharmacists highly interested in working in geriatrics. 
And that being the case, there's not many jobs available, but hopefully I can change that. Nice. You with all the stuff I'm working on. Uh, Jaren, Jaren's got me heated. Uh-oh. Oh, let's hear it, Jenna. Uh -oh. I 100% agree with Jaren that the old people have a lot of literature behind multiple disease states. But the pediatrics in long-term care, our kids average nine chronic conditions and are 102, again, this is our pilot study we did in long-term care, of 102 patients in a pediatric long-term care. Our children average nine chronic disease states and 23 medications, and they did not have a clinical pharmacist on staff before we started. How is that okay? It's because people are not, it's not studied, it's underrepresented, and somehow it's been swept under the rug. So where geriatric patients have this mandate of Medicare MTM, these children who are medically complex and sick have no mandate. So how 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 is that okay? How is that legal? I think is like the biggest debate. And just what Jaron said, like, it is happening at an alarming rate in the geriatric population, but it's it's more people are more aware of it. Whereas in pediatrics, it's happening, but nobody talks about it. So when Perfecting Peds went into one of the biggest uh, pediatric LTACs in the U.S., we found that 15% of their medications were not needed. We found that uh, having a clinical pharmacist in there that's pediatric trained can reduce hospital emissions by 44%. And that a conservative mm -hmm. estimate of $1.2 million in 102 kids in nine months between cost savings and cost avoidance was identified. So I need a mic drop on that because I couldn't agree with you more. It's needed in the geriatric population, but it is just as much needed in peds. Absolutely. Yeah. And I, I will go so far as to say, I think it's far more marketable that, you know, you put a sick kid on a commercial and it has way more impact than a sick old person. So, I mean, you're absolutely right. And that is a huge area that we need more pharmacists in. And it's I think it's easier to attract people to work on that than it is in geriatrics. And, it, and the, the numbers show that as well. So, well said. They're cuter. <laughs> you know yeah. what? I, just side note here. Every nursing home I go to, when we have a psych meeting, every single one, the nursing staff always points out how cute these residents are. They, and so I, you have to have like are. that perspective. Like all the people who go to nursing homes go there because they're passionate about it. So, you know, I, I'm going to pause you guys right there because I think those were some fantastic points. And Obviously, Jen, you know I'm in geriatrics, so I see exactly what you're saying. And then Jenna, that's awesome. I'm I'm like getting a perspective into peds that I never really knew or thought of. And so awesome job there. Uh yeah, I mean they they I will I will side with Jaren too on on some of this that the the uh elderly patients are cute. They, I mean, I, I always love getting followed around by the little old women. Like I had one that was following me around one time and she had a basket on the front of her walker. And she, I mean, like every hallway I went down, she was like right there behind me. And I'm thinking to myself, like, okay, that's fine, whatever. And He's then 
Yeah. And so then I stop and, and she like goes, can you back up just a little bit? I'm like, no, I'm good. And she was like, well, I was hoping you'd fall in my basket. I could scoop you up and take you away. And so, I mean, they are cute. So are the kids, obviously. Uh, and I hate to hear Jenna that you guys uh, had the sweep of stomach bugs. That must be going around everywhere. Cause we got it too. And it is terrible, but Jared, I want to toss over to you for one, man. Do you have something that you're like, Hey, this is how geriatrics so much better than peds that you haven't brought up yet. Um, you know, I think in pediatrics, there's a lot more type one diabetes. Um, and in geriatrics, that is something where pharmacists have proved proven to be valuable time and time again is type two diabetes management and physiological understanding. Um, you know, I've worked with some providers in the past, several who misunderstand or actually are unaware of current evidence, current guidelines and current processes from the American Diabetes Association, as well as uh, geriatric and long-term care recommendations and, and AMDA guidelines. <clears throat> and this is where we've proven our value time and time and time again. And there is so much work to do in that that's, that population alone generates a lot of opportunity for, for pharmacists. And that being said, after 35 years of having consultant pharmacists in long-term care, we've made a, in my opinion, a, a disappointing impact in that population alone. And we've allowed pharmacists to be dictated to on how a consulting service should be structured and implemented and as a result we have not made the impact in diabetes alone now that being said i mean i've i've pounded this drum so many times but if you read the current regulations of why a consultant pharmacist is required it says 66% of medication related adverse events are preventable so we are absolutely missing the mark here there is so much proactive work that we should be doing that we're not doing. And that number validates that point. We need to be more proactive in avoiding and, and not just saying, well, they're on this potentially inappropriate combination, but they're stable. They're stable right now. And being stable in a nursing home is a transient <laughs> occurrence it, that changes on a, on a dime. So it's, it's it's a great once once again it's a it's a perfect playground for pharmacists to come in and prove their value. Let's identify these potentially inappropriate um, situations and and com combinations and say here's how we can improve this and improve the care of this patient and and at the same time reduce their risk factors. Um, and, you know, I think we can get into PGX all day long on this. And here's just a simple scenario that I'll I'll, I'll spell out. So um, right now, there is conflicting data regarding the interaction between clopidogrel and omeprazole. Omeprazole potentially inhibits the enzyme that activates the prodrug clopidogrel, which potentially increases risk of a cardiovascular event. Now... There's a lot of conflicting data that says that this interaction is relevant. Some of it says it's irrelevant. Uh, some of it says absolutely make a change to pantoprazole. Data suggests that 
it inhibits the enzyme 50%, whereas pantoprazole inhibits it only 2%. So it makes sense. Now, if you ask 90% of people, all of them are going to say there's no difference between omeprazole and pantoprazole. Just make the switch. But we rarely do it, and we rarely take the interaction seriously because of the conflicting data. Now, I, in my opinion, there is conflicting data on this interaction because there is a pharmacogenetic component we have not calculated into the equation yet. And I hold that opinion because in the, the short time I have had exposure to pharmacogenetic testing, the vast majority of the mutations that I found were CYP2C19 related. And so there's conflicting data on that interaction because there's a lot of mutations in that specific genetic profile that we have not figured out yet. So with that being the case, why risk it? Just switch omeprazole to pantoprazole. It is such a simple thing to do that makes no impact or no difference on clinical as far as side effects and efficacy of the impact we're looking for, while at the, same, at the same time, we're reducing potential risk on the other end. So there's a lot, there are hundreds of situations just like that where pharmacists can come in and reduce the amount of adverse events that are medication related. And, I, and I'll piggyback off that and kind of, um... I 100% agree, and I even think so more in the pediatrics because, as I always say, like uh, me and my partner always say, pediatric pharmacy is a blue ocean. Nobody's doing it. And um, when we argue about uh, and discuss opportunities for pharmacists, again, we're we're starting to take on Appy students, and there's just a lack of where, you know, you guys we have Appy rotations for the geriatric population all day. I've been contacted by schools that are like, we don't have a pediatric elective and we don't have a pediatric appy. And that goes along with just like you're saying, uh, conflicting literature. I mean, with pharmacists, pediatric pharmacists, sometimes we're going off of case studies. That's how, that's how poor our, our literature is. And that's really what we're working with. So I think too, just to echo what you said, there's so many opportunities for for pharmacists within the pediatric space because again we are blue ocean there's so many opportunities all of our medicaid kiddos get a pgx test because it's free we bolt that on to a service and we foolishly don't don't charge more um and it's just because i know um as, as you know the owner and founder of perfecting peace that this i've seen it impact children's lives so profoundly um, even though the literature is not there. So for example, one of my favorite patients that I'll never let go, um, his parents were actually close to sending him to boarding school. His behavior was so bad as ADHD, ODD. And with PGX and identifying that only one of his four medications were appropriate and changing his regimen to in favor of his pharmacogenomics, he now is a happy functioning kid at a public school uh, with, ju with just a, a very, very small um, plan that he works with at this school. So there was no, he was able to stay home. And so I think just what you said is there's so much opportunity and just like in the geriatric population, yes, we see a lot of type one diabetics, 
Um, but we see we see a lot, unfortunately, especially with that change of COVID, where pediatric obesity is on the rise. And so we have, again, arguing that pediatrics is better. Like you guys, you know, a geriatric patient may be at the trail end of their lifespan, which is a really morbid but uh, accurate accurate statement. Whereas we have these children that are eight years old that already have type 2 diabetics because they're so uh, morbidly obese that if we don't nip that in the butt, think of all um, the, as a pharmacist, all the, um, when I think of like health economics, all the AMCARE, all the hospital admissions, um, if we can manage it appropriately, all the various disease states that, that we can minimize. And so that's going to be my argument is that their lifespan's longer. And so there's more of an impact there um, as a pharmacist. Well yeah, said. I agree with yeah. I agree with both of you guys. In geriatrics, when you think about our diabetic patients, you're looking at avoiding symptomatic hyperglycemia and avoiding hypoglycemia. But in the PEDS patients, you're looking at long-term, how can we prevent you know, long-term side effects in these right. patients and keep their blood sugars under control. So yeah, two very different ways of looking at patients. Yeah, and direct I, quote of the update to the ADA guidelines. Well done. Yeah, well, well played. Well, that's a that was a strong right hook right there. I will give her that. That's her. She's living up to her reputation. You know, something that both of you guys said, and and I appreciate this so much because I think it needs to be said in our healthcare system that we are very valuable as pharmacists. We are valuable, and I think in both settings. You can see, and we can. We need to have an episode, and Tamara and I plan on doing that on PGX, so we don't want to steal some thunder from that. But I think you can see the impact uh, from both of your perspectives on what a pharmacist can do and the overall quality of care. And yeah, I mean, Jenny, you're right. We're talking end of life for the geriatric population, but we want to make those the best years. You're talking about peds and making that the best life that that person can have, and and pharmacists can play a role in that. So, Jen, I'm going to kick it back over to you. Maybe one more, one more topic as why pediatrics are so much better than geriatrics, and we'll let Jaren go. Okay. What you got? Um, I think, and this is. This could be obviously with geriatrics too, but I, you can't help but love and and from being uh, a South Philly uh, Italian and and living in New Jersey, like I I love people that keep it real. And so, you know, like my, I mean, my daughter is an example. Like I never wear my hair down. She's like, why don't you wear your hair down? You look so much prettier. They just like, they just have a way of, or another example, taking my oldest to school, I stopped for coffee. She can tell time. She looked at the time and said, what's more important, coffee or school? And I said, well, good mom would say school, but I need my coffee. So, you know, you always have those real raw conversations where everything's left on the table. I don't enjoy passive aggressive people. There's no passive aggressive in them. They're going to just shoot you straight. And uh, as, as I said, as a, as a rough, uh, New Jersey, who likes to say a lot of F-bombs, those are my people. Um, I'm not going to say that the curse <laughs> words are the children. I have managed to turn that off and on. But the fact that we can just keep it real is is my favorite. Oh, my goodness. I have had Jaren. to mute my mic so many times because I'm laughing so hard that you guys, if you see the recording, you'll see that. But <laughs> we'll pass it down to Jared after that. That was That was great. Um, you know, I think, um, watching, there's, there's a couple of things here. Um, 
people who have had who have been impacted by a poor event an event that caused poor mental or poor health um a heart attack um a thrombotic event a deep vein thrombosis and, and pulmonary embolism um atrial fibrillation stroke heart attack um watching the impact of that and finding out how we can prevent the recurrence and also managing the complexities that goes into treating those conditions is really rewarding and really fun for a pharmacist and i'm going to i just got a a confirmation today that an article i wrote will finally get published here in the next 3 to 6 months Yay. about managing dual antiplatelets and managing um anticoagulation on top of it and how pharmacists historically have not done a significantly good job at managing this in long-term care and there is uh, there's a lot that goes into it learning the difference between ischemic versus thrombotic and how to treat those two differences and when you're supposed to use combinations when you're supposed to narrow it down to one agent when you're supposed to narrow it down to two um, when all three are appropriate, there's so much that goes into that that we're just not managing. And that being said, uh, the QIP committee at ASCP, I used to be the chair of the committee. Me and, and Cass Siebert uh, put together a study to show how many anticoagulation treatments were incorrectly or inappropriately dosed. Uh, I can't say anything about it because it's still in peer review, but it should be published in the next month or two. Um, hopefully next month, that would be ideal. Um, but I will say that I, I had a theory that I think was validated. That's all I will say. So there is so much that we should and need to be doing to manage anticoagulation treatment and antiplatelet treatments in, in long-term care. And making sure that we treat these people so that they don't have to deal with that that harm anymore, and that we can minimize that risk. And second of all, just watching people who have lived a a good life, or you know, old veterans, and and watching them decline in their old age can be such a heart wrenching situation to to see and to watch happen. And if we can make them comfortable and minimize the the degradation of their body over time and and the loss of memories and and uh and loved people that 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 were with them throughout their whole life and and watch them you know change from their personality almost get a, a complete overhaul with dementia and and loss of memory if we can help minimize and improve that with medications that are contributing to it, accelerating it, um, and and find ways of minimizing that risk, that's another area where pharmacists can make an impact. And unfortunately, anticholinergic burden, it, I've even heard Jenna talk about anticholinergic oh. burden in the pediatric population, which shocked me. Oh, but it is it is a massive problem in in a in a population that already has dementia and then we're accelerating the process of neurodegeneration with these drugs right and that is an often overlooked problem that current mid-level practitioners do not have sufficient training on 
And that's where we can make an impact is there are plenty of other alternative solutions or medications that will not incur that same risk and potentially provide the same benefits. So that, that's how I'll wrap it up. Yeah, we just like you said, going back to the theme of it's just wildly up, underrepresented, but you know, our killed children in long-term care facilities are, are on the same drugs as geriatrics. And so our interventions are, are very similar. It's just not as brought to light. So, you know, you have every, all of our trait patients are on glycopyrrolate for secretions. And then for some unknown reason, I hate ipratropium, they add ipratropium on and just leave it on for eternity. And then you have an antipsychotic that's at it. And then they're like, oh my God, we have to straight cast the kid. And then once you're straight cast the kid, oh my God, they're constipated. And then it's like, you know, when the the biggest reoccurring theme with our company going in and, and taking care of these patients, we're like, get off the ipratropia. I'm just like you're saying, uh, the antihistamines, like if it's not allergy season, probably aren't needed. Can we maybe get away with it more PRN? Um, we don't need uh, glycopyrrolate at insane doses and a scopolamine patch. Um, is there a way we can utilize Botox, which sounds kind of wild. I'm sure they do it in geriatrics, but um, you know, how can we utilize something that doesn't have the, the same anticholinergic bur burden as it? And then a lot of times it's just saying like, hey guys, usually half of this dose is uh, sufficient to take care of the secretions. Can we cut back? maybe even by 20% and slowly wean it and see where that patient's threshold is so we can minimize the anticholinergic burden and therefore minimize all the ADRs. And just like the geriatric population, the pediatric population has the same pain points when it comes, comes to this burden. You know, I have to just pause you both right here. This has been awesome. It's definitely been a nail biter on which one is better, geriatrics or pediatrics. But I remember reaching out to Jenna and then uh, before Darren, you and, and, and Tamara and I had talked and we wanted to do something together. And this idea of pediatrics versus geriatrics and which is better, but but Jenna, you just said it, there's a lot of similarities between the two, which is one of the reasons why I love this idea. And, and Jaren, we ran into you at ASCP. You were like, hey, we could debate this out. And I'm just like, okay, well, that sounds like a fantastic idea. And it's been so, so much fun. And every listener that's listening in can hear both of you guys and the passion that you have. And we want to take a second away from the debate and just give you each a little bit of a spotlight. And I, we know you guys, but maybe some of our listeners don't. And we want you to tell us what makes you passionate about what you do. If you've already said some of it, you can just reiterate it again quickly. Uh, but what, what makes you get up each day? What makes you love this area of pharmacy that you're in? And so that the listeners can know, and, and maybe they're looking at trying to get into something that's different than what they're in now. And they can, they can uh, hear your guys' passion and what makes it amazing for you. So, you know, we'll start with you. What, what is what gets you up out of bed every day about pediatrics? What do you love about it? Yeah, so I think as I alluded to before, there's just so much opportunity for us, and, and there there's so many um, healthcare gaps that that I see pharmacists are instrumental in closing and can be, and and hopefully my company can make it non-negotiable. Um, but with perfecting keys, our goal is as a, a hospital pediatric pharmacist for over a decade, there is a reoccurring theme that you guys definitely see in the geriatric population too. Like we, we had our frequent flyers. And so um, 
what I noticed is that I organically would take to the caregivers and I was doing a lot of medication management inpatient on medications that they were on outpatient that a lot of times were the root cause of the admission. And so seeing that theme over and over again, and I know it's the same in adults, I started just to doing some local research of what pediatric trained pharmacists, um, as you know, like each each specialty is wildly different. Like I could never take care of a geriatric patient. And, and similarly, I've only been in peds for 12 years. And so our training is, is extremely different. And so what excites me is that currently in D in the US, only 0.5 of us are pediatric trained. Um, and that just to me opens a whole, again, blue ocean of opportunity where, you know, Hopefully, Perfecting Peds is creating more pediatric pharmacists. Hopefully, we're creating more data and white papers. Um, just like Jaren, we have our first being published in, in a, a journal, JPPT, any day as well. Um, and, and really, I think the opportunity and knowing the need of how much, you know, we've traditionally pediatric pharmacists have been really in, in the hospital walls. Um, and so our company's taking them outside of, of the hospital and performing the first ever comprehensive med management longitudinally via telehealth. And I think what, what excites me is knowing the hundreds and thousands of patients out there in the U.S. that need us, that I've seen, you know, locally, that I've seen in my own children. I swear not one of the meds my child, children have gotten filled in the past three months have been correct. And so it's just a true testimony of we are so important. And I think, yes, we can chew our own horns internally, but, you know, I, I'm, I'm going to die on the hill of trying to get this out to physicians, to nurses, to dietitians, to PT, to OT, to CMS. I mean, I, I wrote a, a letter to our congressman and I have a, a meeting next week with the legislators of New Jersey. Like, we have to really think of how can we get our voice heard outside of the pharmacy or because we know our worth. Um, but again, just pumping out as much data as possible um, and, and, and showing our worth and trying to, to get the attention of people again outside of pharmacy to say, hey, like we are valuable. Um, can you support us in elevating our profession um, it is, is really where I think we need to be and we need to play. That's awesome. Thank you, Jenna. That's such good information. I love every second of it. Jaron, for time's sake, we're going to toss it over to you, brother, about geriatrics yeah. and what makes you get out of bed each day for that. Um, you know, it, it there are a lot of parallels between pediatrics and geriatrics. And it's, it's funny because in a way, it's almost as if we are born into pediatrics and then we go into adult adulthood and then we slowly morph back into a childlike state where we need more attention and more care and more assistance. And, you know, um, I feel like it's easy to sell people on taking care of kids. That's what everyone wants to do. Make sure our, the future of our species and our next generation is in good hands and taken care of and healthy and functional um, but it, it, I think in our society specifically, we easily and often overlook um, the care of our of our senior citizens. And as they age and, and become their immune system fails over time and their 
uh, chronic disease states increase and and progress, and these progressive disease states uh, continue to to decline and 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 cause more harm to their body, and it fails over time. I think we have a a, a tendency to just kind of discard them, and this is a very susceptible population that needs so much attention and we have a, a current system in place that does not give them sufficient does not meet their needs sufficiently and there's so much opportunity for pharmacists to make an impact here and and it's time for us to step up to the plate and actually make that happen cuz we have been dictated to for far too long and it's time for us as pharmacists, individual pharmacists, consulting, uh, performing clinical services to step up and prove our value and to, to make the impact that we are we were trained to make. And now is the time, especially as our boomers are aging and we have a massive population of, of aging people. The need is there and the, the number of providers is too low and we don't need provider status to make an impact. We need to step up right now and do it. And that's what makes me get out of bed. Oh, that was awesome, Karen. <laughs> that was, you guys are amazing. So I'm going to close. Yeah. So for my closing arguments, I'm going to, I'm going to sway with geriatrics in the side of their popcorn tastes better because who doesn't like walking into a nursing home and having a bag of that nursing home popcorn? That stuff is awesome. Well said. Now, on the peat side, I'm just going to say they smell better. You know, the Johnson & Johnson lotion, so good. So much better. Uh, <laughs> but as far as both of them goes, both have a list of potentially inappropriate meds. We got the beers list and we got the kids list. Both refuse baths and showers. Both refuse meds. Both sometimes refuse to eat. Both have a polypharmacy problem. And both sides need rock star pharmacists like Jenna and Jaren. So you guys, yes. I'm team and I'm I'm team Jenna and I'm team Jaren. And we just, you guys are both inspiring and amazing and just provide such great care. So let's give a round of applause to Jenna Love Senna and to Hip Hop Jaren. Thank you guys so much. <laughs> Thank you all for being on here. You guys have been awesome. Well, um, Again, we want to thank you guys and for all of our listeners tuning in, make sure to check out Jaren and Jenna both on LinkedIn. Follow them. They are both incredible and doing great things. And we just want to end with that. Thank you guys both for being on the show. Bye.